is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. It's almost impossible to believe. Donald Trump, a fucking loser in every sense of the word, is still the front runner in the Republican Party. As pathetic and bizarre as it may be, this man who is running from the law is still creating chaos that will ultimately dictate the fate of his entire party. And now, as we wait for the possible indictment to come down in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, and that of course is based upon Donald's statements himself, the disgraced twice impeached president is trying to change the game, using a playbook that I know all too well. On Monday, the Manhattan Grand Jury in the Stormy Daniels hush money case heard from Robert Costello, who appeared in court on Donald's behalf. My only mission there today was to tell the truth about what Michael Cohen was saying at any point in time during the time that we were representing him. I wouldn't have touched a guy like Michael Cohen, especially if he's a convicted perjurer. Not to mention, as I said, the 50 to 100 lies he told us that are in those 300 and 30 emails. Costello was sent there to do only one thing, and that's to discredit me. They want you to believe that I can't be trusted. They want to muddy the waters, but the grand jury didn't ask me back to defend myself against whatever it was that Costello had to say. They could have if they had questions or wanted me to defend myself. It's called a rebuttal, and to be a rebuttal witness against Costello's claims. But again, they didn't. And I'm speculating that this grand jury is a whole lot smarter than Trump's team gives them credit for. And I can only hope that Trump and his team now don't go after the people on the jury the same way they went after Alvin Bragg and his staff. But he's a mob boss, and that's the sort of thing that they do to protect themselves. Cohen, prosecutor, star witness in the case, was also brought in yesterday to be on standby as a possible rebuttal witness for Costello's testimony. But that rebuttal was never needed, even after Costello spent more than two hours trying to discredit Cohen before the grand jury. After his testimony, Costello, who also has represented the likes of Rudy Giuliani and Steve Bannon, told reporters he has no agenda except exposing the truth. Now I can tell you from experience that Costello is a low credibility lawyer. I mean, he represents people like Giuliani and Bannon, so obviously he's a bottom feeder. He was also never my lawyer, but now he's apparently very critical of me because I'm supposed to be the star witness in the prosecution against Donald Trump. And for a crime in which Trump was essentially, no, in fact, he was my co-conspirator. In court filings, they called him individual number one, and I said an individual number one is Donald J. Trump. Now, I already did my time for the crime. Now, it's Donald's turn to pay. This is not the home run that some people may be looking for. At best, it is maybe a double. But at the end of the day, accountability is accountability. And you cannot have a conversation on one hand about a two-tier justice system in America, and then on the other hand say, well, this is not worth a prosecution. If the law has been broken, then the law needs to be upheld. And that's really what we're talking about, is the rule of law and how Alvin Bragg is going about making sure it is upheld regardless of the severity involved. Costello said that he has hundreds of documents, emails, notes, and memos, and all that other stuff all about me. Well, you know what that is? All it is is a classic stall tactic. All right? That's all that it is. And this bit is rich. 
Costello said that the case was previously shut down by the Southern District of New York due to my weak credibility. They notified me that Michael Cohen had executed a waiver of the attorney-client privilege for reasons I have no idea. Uh, frankly, it was a very stupid move by Michael Cohen because now we're able to tell the truth about what Michael Cohen was saying at any point in time starting in April of 2018. So that's why I wanted to get those materials that I gave to the U.S. Attorney's Office and sat for a two-hour interview with them back in 2019, after which, you may have noticed, the Southern District of New York didn't do any business with Michael Cohen. There's a reason for that. He's totally unreliable. But here's the facts. U.S. Attorney at the time, Jeffrey Berman, says differently. Berman said that Barr had him terminated because the sitting president couldn't be indicted. Barr wanted the whole thing thrown out and even suggested that my conviction on campaign finance charges be reversed. It's all in his book, and more importantly, it's all in my book, Revenge. Mr. Trump, we're in big trouble. I think they know about our illusion, K and obstruction of justice, Jay? Sorry, I don't speak Spanish. Anyway, at his press conference on Monday, Costello claimed that all this started because Stormy Daniels was gonna file a lawsuit against Trump. No, no, you're wrong again, Bob. Miss Daniels was gonna go public after her and about her affair with Trump. She was never going to file a lawsuit. And it was just days before the 2016 election which Donald was afraid would have killed his chances of winning. So yeah, hush money was paid to keep her quiet. And Trump became the 45th president of the United States. And faced the enormity of the legal problems he knew were, were coming his way. But calling me an unreliable witness because I was afraid of what would happen to me if I took the rap for Trump is absolutely absurd. I was afraid, but that doesn't make me untruthful. My only previous run with the law was a traffic ticket in college, for fuck's sake. In 1985, I was going 14 miles to 13 miles over the speed limit while driving back to college. Other than that, I don't even know if I've ever had a parking ticket. The heart of it is that Michael Cohn told us that he was approached by Stormy Daniels' lawyer and Stormy Daniels had negative information that she wanted to put in a lawsuit against Trump. So Michael Cohn decided on his own, that's what he told us, on his own to see if he could take care of this. So he sat with the lawyer for Stormy Daniels. They negotiated a non-disclosure agreement for $130,000. Costello also claimed that I acted alone. Well, guess what, Costello? I call bullshit. I mean, seriously, are you that stupid? Why would I have ever done that? I mean, paying off Stormy Daniels would not have benefited me in any way. But what they do know about me is that I know the truth. I have the facts and the documentation to back it all up. Now, all that stuff is in the hands of the DA. They know I have the goods on Trump, but let them go full Roy Cohn on me. I don't care. Let's see what happens. But sending Costello into the grand jury with the intention of smearing me will backfire. I mean, you can take that to the bank because I guarantee it. But Robert Costello, as you mentioned a short time ago, oh, you know, holding up those more than 300 emails, he says, that communication between Michael Cohen and his law firm. He says that he was only asked about six of those emails, saying that they were cherry-picked out of context and seemed to be frustrated at the direction that prosecutors went during his grand jury testimony. 
testimony, he said that Michael Cohen was on a, quote, revenge tour. I was happy to see that Kevin McCarthy came out over the weekend to ask for nonviolence after Trump went full nuts on Truth Social, calling his minions to show up and protest a non-existent indictment. Trump claimed he was going to be indicted on Tuesday. But who knows? I mean, it's Trump. Nothing that he says is truthful. For God's fucking sakes, 40,000 lies during the time period that he was president, and maybe even more. He had to stir up the shit machine, and that was an excellent way to do it. He would know before the rest of us because he's the one being indicted. But as of yet, said indictment has not materialized. I don't know what's going to happen. I, you know, just because Donald Trump said he was going to be arrested, his track record on no evidence of that, by the way, anything. Well, made up the day. Yeah, well, Tuesday. of course, and he, and he could be, and he wanted to whip up his people. You saw the size of that demonstration on his behalf. It was about three people. Trump is also no longer hiding his disgusting anti-Semitism. Now, you may remember I said that Donald Trump is an anti-Semite. On Truth Social, he's saying George Soros, the MAGA boogeyman, is behind all of his legal troubles. I mean, how do you blame Soros for Stormy Daniels? Was it Soros who had the affair with Daniels? No. But Trump can't take responsibility for any of his own actions. So sure, blame me, blame Soros, blame the Jews. But it doesn't change the fact that all roads lead one direction. And that's directly to Donald J. Trump. Shortly after his post, a Trump spokesperson appearing to walk back Trump's comments in a statement saying in part that there is no notification the DA has decided to take his witch hunt to the next level, adding President Trump is rightfully highlighting his innocence and the weaponization of our injustice system. But back to Kevin McCarthy. For one bright and shining moment, McCarthy looked like a leader. I guess after the insurrection, he wasn't taking any chances. But then there was this. House Republicans, including Jim Jordan, are now demanding testimony from members of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to answer for their apparent sin of investigating Donald Trump. Is this legal? Brian, at a minimum, it's enough to open a criminal investigation. I don't say that lightly or recklessly or cavalierly because what Kevin McCarthy has done in instructing all House committees available to, you know, march to the assistance of Donald Trump and try to put a stop to Alvin Bragg's prosecution of Donald Trump. Um, and we've seen a letter issue from uh, the chairman of, I think, three committees, Jim Jordan, James Comer, and Brian Steele, basically saying to Alvin Bragg, we've got a real problem with you prosecuting or threatening to prosecute a former president of the United States. Here's the thing, Brian, the Congress doesn't have any jurisdiction to interfere in state criminal investigations. Now the pressure is on from Congress to try and shut down any prosecutions against Trump. So like I said, Trump is still running the show. McCarthy and his sidekick, Jim Jordan, are even threatening Alvin Bragg in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office with an investigation. And they're saying that they will somehow defund Bragg's office. I mean, seriously, since when does Congress, a federal agency, shut down local prosecutors? The Weaponization Committee's entire purpose has been to go after Trump's enemies. 
And there's a term for that. It's called obstruction of justice. President Trump announced he was going to run for president again. And suddenly here they go. Now they're coming after him for some alleged bookkeeping error. But you notice not one of them is saying that Trump isn't guilty. They're just mad at Bragg for having the guts to go after him. But for now, I have not been called back to meet with Bragg's grand jury again. And Trump has not yet been indicted, and all we can do is just wait. The truth is, there's no good reason for Trump to be in any of this trouble. If Casanobrain had just paid Stormy Daniels the $130,000 himself out of his Pizza Hut money or whatever, he wouldn't be in this situation. He wouldn't have an issue in New York. So many of his legal problems are based on him being an idiot. If President Karen hadn't picked up the phone and called around Georgia asking to speak to its manager to find 11,000 votes, he wouldn't have an issue in Georgia. If he just tweeted the words, calm down, go home, four hours earlier, like everyone, including his daughters, told him to, he wouldn't have an issue on January 6th. And if the Great White Hope Chest hadn't boxed up his love letters from the Saudis and Kim Jong-un, if he hadn't squirreled them out of the White House and into the rec room at Golf Lago, he wouldn't have an issue with the FBI. In every case, the reason he's in trouble is because he is the dumbest criminal in the world. He's Al Cabonehead is what he is. But in the meantime, Trump's team is trying to head off an indictment in Fulton County. And on Monday, Trump's lawyers filed a motion to quash Fannie Willis' special grand jury report and to throw out the election fraud case against Trump. I mean, if this isn't the stupidest thing you ever heard, so good luck there. It asked to have Fannie Willis and her whole office removed because they were illegal or unfair. But that effort was already made by the fake electors and they were quickly turned away by the Georgia courts. There's really nothing here, it's just air. In fact, it's gonna be dismissed. But Republican lawlessness in Georgia has become hard to miss. Republican lawmakers have passed a bill in the state's House and the Senate that would allow them to remove prosecutors that Republicans don't like. Pretty fishy and pretty fucked up if you ask me. And when the targets of investigations can pick and choose their own prosecutors, it's a cold day in America. Stacey Abrams warned us that the MAGA was strong and crooked Governor Brian Kemp and his Attorney General Brad Raffensperger. It's not that they love Trump, but they don't want to have to testify against him either. It's all about Republicans' fear of losing their previous power. It's that simple. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show, Reed Galen, co-founder of the Lincoln Project and an independent political strategist. A veteran public affairs and political commentator with more than 20 years experience, Reed has been involved in politics, government, and business at the highest levels. Galen has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 50, Fortune 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. In addition to his private sector work, Reed has managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, Texas, and Colorado, 
before moving to the private sector. Reed then served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Galen also worked on both the President George W. Bush's campaigns and served the Bush administration at both the United States Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Reed, I heard you talking about Mitch McConnell and how he compromised his principles after Trump's second impeachment. I mean, assuming that Mitch McConnell even has any principles, right? Do you think that he'd help Biden rather than see Trump elected president again? And what do you think McConnell's legacy will ultimately be? That's your first question is a great one. And I don't know the answer to it. Um, he had said previously that he would support the eventual Republican nominee. Uh, I have to assume that he will. Unless he believes that he can somehow split the baby of winning back the United States Senate for Republicans and somehow defeating Trump simultaneously. You look, he's got a lot he's got a lot more seats to play with coming in 2024 than he did in 2020 or 2022. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be in control of the destiny of those races, right? Trump helped him lose a whole bunch of Senate seats last year that could have been very competitive. Um, so I, I think it remains to be seen. I think he will do his best turtle impression and and try not talk about Trump to the extent that he can. What's McConnell's legacy? McConnell's legacy will be um, that it was all about him, I think, that at the end of the day, it was about him deciding that he wanted the title of leader whether it was majority leader or minority leader, more than anything in the whole world, that he wanted to be in charge. Um, and I think at the end of the day, uh, history will reflect poorly on him, unfortunately for him. I mean, do you think maybe McConnell's legacy is going to be stacking, for example, the Supreme Court uh, or a slew of these federal courts around the country? Because that's what that, I mean, when I think Mitch McConnell, that's really what I see. You know, I see this dark overlord who decided that he was going to take, what was it, the Federalist Society or Heritage mm. Society, one of those two. I remember Donald having that document in his office. I remember when he got it. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. He didn't know anything about them. They didn't do any research. They just took right. the document and they said, oh, fuck it. You know, one, two, three, four. Well, we have 100 of these, so let's just go one through 100. I, you know what? I think you're probably right. I mean, I think that was... In the context of Trump's presidency, the only thing that that McConnell really cared about from a from a policy perspective was the jury was the judiciary. So I think you're probably right. Um, and I think that, you know, again, look at, you know, whether or not Mitch McConnell cares about how history looks at him, maybe he doesn't, is that the that the conservative judiciary and the conservative judicial theory is we know that this country is moving away from us. Um, demographically, we know that this country is moving away from us ideologically. We know that this country is moving away from us culturally. And so we will put in, you know, these super legislative people who we know, and many of them, as you know, Michael, were unqualified by the American Bar Association. That's how they, they were they were listed to try and keep in place some social structure that has been degrading, I don't want to say degrading, but changing, evolving over the last 30, 40, 50 years. 
uh, you know, into something that a guy from Kentucky could be comfortable with. You know, it's interesting because in The Hill, December in 2022, there was a really interesting article that came out, and it's entitled McConnell Calls Trump Diminished, Vows to Find Quality Senate Candidates in 2024. And there came a point in time that Mitch McConnell, who is not that too dissimilar, right, from Trump in that they believe that they are masters of the universe, literally came out, calls Trump's political power diminished following his endorsed candidate's lackluster performance in the midterm elections. So that's another thing I think Mitch McConnell will be remembered for, which is that the first time in, in I don't even know how many years that the Senate stayed and actually increased for the party in power and that that gigantic red wave that everybody was talking about. I mean, it was amazing how every single day all you heard about is this red fucking tsunami that's coming and that right. the Democrats should be running in fear that they're going to have the House and the Senate and that the first right. thing, of course, that they're going to do is McConnell's going to you know, have um, or whoever it was that was sitting there in the, uh, I guess it would probably be uh, Mark Meadows, right? That they would file articles of impeachment against Biden and Kamala Harris. And then the Senate was going to approve it. And then all of a sudden things are going to change. I mean, I've, it's like an episode of House of Cards. It's really insane. The fact that that conversation and some of the conversations that are taking place today are actually taking place. It's almost like we're not America anymore. No, and I think you're right about, I mean, this is the other part I think about McConnell as he, you know, in the last, say, five, six, seven, eight years, like so many people in the Republican Party, is that he believes that he, he believes that money uh, and the approval of Washington, D.C. will somehow save, you know, his, these Senate seats for him, that he'll get the people he wants. Um, you already see that. Remember, think about this in 2022, early 2022, there was a whole bunch of ugly opposition research dropped on Herschel Walker in Georgia. That was mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell's people. That wasn't Democrats. Those were right. Mitch McConnell's people trying right. to scare him out of the race. And it didn't work. If they had nominated some orthodontist from Buckhead, he'd have beaten, uh, he'd have beaten Raphael Warnock, right? That candidate would have, because Georgia is a Republican state. It's gone purple a couple of times in very specific ways, but it's still a pretty red state. Um, now you have in places like Pennsylvania and Arizona, again, Doug Mastriano, who, you know, pals around with anti-Semites and was at the Capitol on January 6th, saying he's going to run for United States Senate. You have Carrie uh, Lake and the other goon who lost last year in Arizona saying they're going to run for the United States Senate again. And so the idea that McConnell thinks that he's somehow going to you know, have all of his preferred candidates. Now, maybe look for the incumbents, maybe, but in open seats or where he's got to have a competitive primary, the idea that somehow he's going to be able to just will his preferred candidate to victory, uh, I think is, is just one more example of how they don't understand how the party works anymore, which is it doesn't matter if Trump or Trump's preferred candidate wins by 30 points in a primary or one, Right. They right. will be Trump's person and they will espouse those things. And even in some otherwise conservative states, if it's a wacko MAGA 
Trump guy versus an otherwise, say, normal or conservative Democrat, it's going to be a competitive race. Yeah, though, you really have to start to examine what's going on there in the GOP. Let's not forget, and it was reported by Axios, that Trump actually called McConnell a loser for our nation after he condemned Trump's dinner with that white supremacist Fuentes. And the reason I say we have to start to examine this, Donald is there having dinner with a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. And he gets called out by the Senate minority leader of his party. It is a stupid thing to do, Donald. Stupid. What are you doing? It makes absolutely no sense. And so... Donald, being the thin-skinned baby that he is, couldn't accept the fact that somebody criticized him or his decision to have dinner with this white supremacist. And so what does Donald do? Like the three-year-old that he is? It's not three years old. Let's say a third grader in the playground that somebody said something that he didn't like? Right mm-hmm. off to the loser. Right off to the to the. You know, Ron DeSanctimonious, the little Marco, the lying Ted, the crooked Hillary, the convicted liar Cohen, the, you know, low energy Jeb. I mean, on and on and on. That's who this guy is. And the thought, the thought that there are people in this country, educated, uneducated, white collar, blue collar workers, male, female, that think that this guy should be president again is so disturbing that I'm actually speechless. And so I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, look, I mean, we're not surprised. I mean, I think that Trump, you you know, uh, you and I have disagreed on this uh, about whether or not Trump would actually go through with, uh, with a run. I think he's going to. And I think he is the prohibitive favorite to be the nominee. Um, to your point about all of those names and all of the antics, you've known the guy longer than anybody. Why does he do it? Because he's a always gotten away with it and B because it's worked for him. Right. I mean, think about in the context of the last 10 days, you, you mentioned a Ron DeSantis, right? Ron DeSantis is materially worse off as far as his, you know, proto presidential campaign is today than he was a week ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And and some of that has to do with his own stupid decisions on things like Ukraine. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, Trump, you know, Trump's campaign filed an ethics violation against him. Trump's been all over him. Right. He's getting the MAGAs, the true MAGAs wound up. And here's the thing, Michael, about, you know, the people again, Trump, Trump maybe doesn't represent 45 percent of Americans, but he represents enough to win in target states in electoral college states next year. Right. When think about this, Trump lost in 2020 and thank God for it. He didn't lose by that much. Yeah. I mean, he lost right. seven million elector, you know, popular votes, but he lost by what? One hundred eighty thousand votes in five or six states. So this is a very close run thing. And as 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 you noted, like with all the name calling and the antics, this is the difference between Trump and these other folks. Trump is not a politician. He's a re- wealthy, well, somewhat wealthy New York real estate developer. He'll do whatever. It takes the rest of these people are conventional politicians, and that's why they've never learned how to fight him. Right. You have to fight him, as you know, 
on the ground in which he fights, not the ground that you wish he fought on or the ground you're used to fighting on. And yeah, so I mean, what I think you have to say is if the Republican Party really wanted Trump, rid of Trump, if all of these people who theoretically are going to run against him wanted rid of Trump, if if Mitch McConnell and all and Mitt Romney and all these people really wanted rid of Trump, they would be on him all day, every day, attacking him up one side and down the other, making sure that he was taking some flack. But you know what, Michael? You know this. They'll never do it because they're yeah. ultimately afraid of it. Yeah. And because they care more about re-election than they care about this country. And for that, shame on them. But so Ron DeSantis, as I've often said, not just on this, um, my own podcast, but as well uh, on television and so on. Ron DeSantis, I consider to be like a Trump 2.0. But in fact, he's actually gone even way past MAGA. You think that that appeals to the average Republican? And if not, will they vote for him anyway? Um, I, you know, it's, this is a great question because really the difference between Trump and DeSantis uh, for a voter is an aesthetic difference. For a donor, it's an aesthetic difference, which is they're both bad people who have either done bad things, want to do bad things, or say they will do bad things for the majority of people. But for a lot of Republicans, why do they like DeSantis? You know, he's he went to Harvard. He went to Yale. He was in the Navy, right? He's got a pretty wife, all this other stuff. He won in Florida. And you know what it is? They're not embarrassed to have him at the club, right? He can You can have him at the country club. You can have him at the yacht club. And is he a weirdo? Yeah. But like, you know, you'll get kudos for having Governor DeSantis at your table, whereas Trump walks in if he's going to walk into somebody else's club anyway. And it's a it's a it's a carnival. It's 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 just, you know, it's something out of, you know, Saturday night in a small town where, you know, you just got these weirdos and the carnies and everybody running around. And and a lot of people don't like that. They think they're sick of it. Uh, maybe if he was president of the United States again, they'd put up with it because of the inherent power of the office. But I, I don't think that. The only thing that DeSantis has that's really different is this image of being normal. But he's not, to your point. He's not at all normal. He's not normal personally. He's not normal emotionally. He's not normal politically. And, you know, he has used the tools of power in the state of Florida to silence critics, to remove those he disagrees with from office. And those are real authoritarian things. Um, and I think that, you know, he's... Yeah, he wants to be more MAGA than Trump. But the problem here, I think also, Michael, is that he's ultimately a cynic. He doesn't believe in any of this stuff. He doesn't care. Really? You don't you don't think that he actually believes the shit that he's saying? I mean, let's not forget, right? He puts forth that the Individual Freedom Act, which, of course, to my listeners, just to remind you, is the Stop Woke Act. Um, I mean, he signed that into law. And... Immediately, this thing gets challenged. But with the part that I thought was the, the funniest aspect of this entire thing is that the federal judge that ended up hearing this case, um, Mark Walker, he barred the law and then went ahead and he compared it to the nightmarish Netflix TV show, the sci-fi show called Upside Down, right? Which, um, Stranger Things. You don't get a bigger slap in the face than a judge basically telling you you're fucked up in the nicest mm -hmm. way possible. That this 
bullshit, anti-woke, don't say gay, you can't have um, uh, conversation in classrooms about slavery and the Civil War. And right after that, of course, is going to come the Holocaust and World War II. You can't teach this stuff. Why? I don't know. For some unknown reason. And I choose to believe that he knows exactly what he's doing and that he believes it. It's very hard for me to imagine that he's doing this in order to be more MAGA than Donald, thinking that that's going to make him more popular in the GOP than Donald is. Um, well, I, I think that, you know, there's there's I think there's room for us to um, hold two thoughts in our heads here, which is um, you can believe that he's doing it because he is a transgressive asshole, which I think he is. Right. I think he's a thin skinned bully. Um, and that's that's always been his M.O., right? Going back to college, he was apparently the hazer in chief of the Yale baseball team, right? So I think that he does enjoy that sort of ugliness. Um, but I think, again, the the things that he has chosen to push, I think, are the ones that are most convenient. If it was, you know, Michael saying that in Florida, the, the sky will be deemed purple instead of blue because he knew that that would piss people off, that's what he'd do. Right. And so uh, I think that you can you can mix a willingness to be ugly, to appeal to a very, you know, a a pretty wide set of Republican primary voters without necessarily believing that you care whether or not, you know, you teach African-American AP history. It's the very idea that it upsets people and pisses people off that makes it palatable him, not necessarily the subject matter itself. That's what I believe. (laughs) It's really amazing. And you look to see. There was um, like an Ipsos poll that came out, and I think it said that 56% of all Floridians are not in, they're not on board with this um, anti-woke act that he's decided to create. And a significant number of that 56, I think 38% of them, are actually Republicans. So I don't really know how he thinks that this is going to benefit If you're going to do something this stupid and this obnoxious and this in-your-face just throwback to a 100 years ago, you would probably want to do it because it provides you some sort of a benefit. Like maybe it would get it would appeal to the average Republican, maybe that those Republicans would stay loyal to him, vote for him, and not Trump if, in fact, it becomes a Trump-DeSantis primary for uh, the GOP slot. But it doesn't. It's actually the opposite. And now, coupled with a bigger problem, Donald Trump is as bad as Ron DeSantis. And he's anti-LGBTQ as well. He's anti Black, he's anti-brown, he's an anti-Semite, racist, sexist, misogynist. I mean, listen to the shit that he says, even as an example, when he puts out in his untrue social those statements, every time he refers to Stormy Daniels as horse face. I mean, seriously, I don't know, male or female, why anybody would accept this language from anyone, least of all from a guy who wants to be president of the United States Again, yeah. Look, I, I, this this is the broader issue that we're contending with here, Michael. That that you are hitting on, which is there are 
you know, enough Americans, enough Republican primary voters to make him the nominee again. And, you know, in in the contest between a Joe Biden and a Donald Trump, right? Do I think Joe Biden wins that race? I think he does just because I think that there will be enough Republicans and independents who have tired of Trump. And I think there will be enough Democrats, especially young Democrats, who will do everything they can to ensure that what he believes in and what he represents never takes the Oval Office again. But, you know, it's a it's a jump ball in some regards, right? Because so much of this stuff, as you know, are externalities, right? Without COVID in 2020, Trump Trump's reelected probably, right? Uh, without all of the insanity that that happened after George Floyd, um, you know, uh, you know, after he was murdered in Minneapolis, Trump's probably reelected. And so, you know, the externalities of these things are the ones that we can never account for. Um, but I would say this is that there are enough Americans to go along with this, you know, because you talk about the woke thing. I don't know, you know, uh, when I hear woke, do I, you know, am I offended? No. Do I think about it a lot? I'm probably more than the average person just because we live in this world all day. Um, but I don't know that most Americans do. Um, and I think if, if the idea of woke is like, you know, let's just be, and it's very simplest, like, let's be nice to people. Most people are for that, right? Most people would rather, I think, be nice to people than be rude to people. Um, you know, being an asshole all the time, Michael, as you know, can, is an exhausting thing. You have to work yourself up into being that nasty all the time, right? And it puts you in a place that's really unpleasant and nobody wants to be around you. And there are a lot of Americans like that, but I think there are still more Americans who on any given day, you know, they want their kids to do better. They want their parents to be taken care of. They want their jobs to be steady. They want inflation to go down. You know, the, the things that most Americans and most human beings are looking for are not that complicated, right? They just, they want to have a, a good life. They want to have, they want to be happy as they see it and they want to move forward. And the thing with Trump and DeSantis and the entire MAGA America first thing is that they, by definition, can't allow us to move forward. They must make us live in this politics of eternity. They must make us look backward because they got nothing to do. They got nothing to say about making things better, right? I mean, think about the, you mentioned, you know, the untruth social thing. I mean, think about the unhinged rant of Trump yesterday as we're recording this, where he basically said America's a bad place, Russia's a good place, um, that, you know, the Defense Department, the Justice Department, everything else, like, you, yeah, I know you've got your own issues with the Justice Department. Don't get me wrong. But this is a guy who's saying, I want to tear down the security services of this country. I want to tear down the national security you know, foundations of this country. And I want to rebuild them in my own image. We know what kind of image that is, Michael. And it's not good for the average American. Okay, his goal is to tear it down. But it's not to rebuild it. That's the That's the point that... He doesn't, of course, come out and say, by not having a DOJ, by not having, we'll call it an FBI, he will have his own SS sort of group that can do his bidding, which is no different than what Putin has with the KGB, no different than what the guard is to um, whether it's uh, Kim Jong-un or Mohammed bin Salman. That's what he wants. He doesn't want a DOJ where you had somebody like James Comey stand up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Slow the fuck down there, orange-crusted Mandarin Mussolini. That's not how it works here. And there's no way in the world that we're going to, uh, let's say, um, lure one of your critics down to 500 Pearl Street and have him unconstitutionally remanded because there's a book that's going to be coming out that's critical to you. All right? right. That's what he wants to do. He wants to turn America into Gilead. This is his country. And rest assured, I don't know why people don't see the reality of just how dangerous that this guy actually is. But if they don't open up their eyes and somehow, somehow he manages to get back into power, rest assured, read you, me, Rick. Tara, all of us, Jim Acosta, right? Right. We're all in big trouble because he will do that. He will will tear down the walls that protected the average American or all Americans from abuse of power. He will then, he will, who knows, he'll, he'll, he'll disband the Supreme Court as a dictator you could do whatever you want. Fuck, he'll put, he'll put Melania as the Supreme Court, right? Just to give her a right. job. I mean, it's, it's really nuts. And if you think what Mohammed bin Salman did by grabbing and rounding up all of the, mo- the, you know, the mega billionaires that are you know, um, his relatives, if you think right. for a second that Donald's not going to do the same thing, I don't care if it's Peter Thiel who's been carrying his water, Elon Musk, I don't care if it's Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, or any of the Walmart folks, he will round your asses up, he will schlep you off to Mar-a-Lago or to the Doral and stick you into one of those ugly, you know, ballrooms with the massive chandeliers, right? They'll crank up the air conditioning so that it's freezing, put you on the floor, and ask you to sign over 99.9% of your wealth. And if you don't do it, well, that's okay. We don't have a DOJ. I got the hit squad outside. All right? right. That's what he'll do. But, you know, look, since we're talking about truth social, or as I like to call it, untruth social, another investigation seems to have popped up into Trump world just the other day. And now New York federal prosecutors are conducting a criminal investigation into truth social and Trump media. They're examining whether they violated money laundering statutes by accepting $8 million from suspected Russian ties. So at what point do all of these investigations cancel each other out? At what point does it put an end to this guy's reign of terror? Well, I mean, Michael, you would know probably darn near the exact number of times that he's been sued or brought up on potential charges or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see it, you know, I'll, I guess, let me say this. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, you know, it, whether or not it's the New York district attorney, whether or not it's the Georgia or the Atlanta district attorney or Fulton County district attorney, whether or not it's the department of justice, whoever it is, um, if, and when they indict him, uh, I, I think it would have to be sooner than later. Uh, simply just because if we think that the Iowa caucuses are sometime in January of next year, they'd want probably a six month buffer. That's just my gut um, between, you know, that 
but he's not going to he's not going to get tried in the context of in the course of a presidential campaign. Right. They'll say, you, you know, they'll ask for uh, continuance or whatever. You, you know this stuff better than I do. Um, but it will only it will only harden uh, his support amongst the Republican Party and amongst ultra MAGA voters. Um, so when is it when is it finally enough? Uh, March two years, you know, two years from now, March of 2025, when hopefully he's lost again. And finally, you know, uh, somebody said, OK, we're going to proceed with a trial. And, you know, I mean, I could see a situation where I look uh, the idea of a former president going to prison, um, you know, as a federal protectee, just don't see it. I could see home confinement tomorrow yeah, I for the rest too. of his life. Can I say but that it's not going to be it's, actually, it's not going to be anything. It's he's not he listen, he's not wearing an orange jumpsuit anytime soon, let's just be clear. That I totally agree with you. And a lot of people got angry at me when I said this. I think it was on Nicole Wallace. I actually don't want to see Donald Trump incarcerated in a federal correctional institution. I don't. And the reason I don't is not because I don't think it would make for great headlines or he doesn't deserve it. He does deserve it. The reason I don't want to see him there is because for four years, and as dumb as he is and as bad as that memory is, he still was briefed on a daily basis of national security secrets. And I care more about the country than I do about seeing, giving me a second of elation that he's sitting inside of one of those disgusting cells that I spent, you know, 51 days of solitary confinement in or 13 months at the cubicle, right, for the satellite um, camp of Otisville. I'm more concerned about America and our national security than I am about that. And so should everybody else, because rest assured, if there's someone there that Donald can talk to and spill all the secrets for a bag of tuna or a book of stamps, I promise you he would do it because he doesn't give a fuck about this country. That's, that's factual. He doesn't care about the country. This entire presidential race, just like the first one, is all about him and not about doing good for the country, but about doing good for him and his family, but mostly for him. Right. I agree with you completely. I think that's probably right. Yeah, well, I know it's right. So look, since we're on the subject of investigations and obviously... And I'm sorry to my, to my listeners, because rest assured, I would love to sit there and to spew everything that I know. But I did make a promise to the DA's office that I wouldn't do it. I also don't want him to benefit from that information. So I can't say too much about the Manhattan DA and the investigation. But what are you thinking about the massive new evidence that's coming out in the Fannie Willis election fraud case, because it's starting to look a lot like a RICO case. What's your opinion? Um, I think that this is a this is one in which, um, you know, Michael, you, you know, as, in your time as an attorney, it's not often that you probably have a defendant who's caught on, you know, caught on tape, you know, asking someone to commit a federal crime or a state crime, as the case might be. Um, and I think that you can see that, you know, even some Republicans down there are starting to get nervous about, you know, maybe they replaced, uh, you know, the the district attorney. Maybe they, um, you know, maybe they try and 
take the jurisdiction away because they know. I mean, look, we we know that Lindsey Graham's been down there. These people who maybe have been sycophants for Trump. The the one thing we also know, Michael, you've lived through this is like they don't want to go. They don't want to go to state prison in Georgia for perjury. Right. Right. So um, I I think that um, I I think that that is one that you're likely to see. And and you could have multiple indictments in the course of the next few weeks or months. Um, And, you know, again, we should be clear that it was very there was a very intentional reason why Trump was it last week or the week before at one of his rallies said, even if I am indicted by the deep state, I will remain in this race. He was saying that to his supporters, but more importantly, Michael, he was saying it to his opponents, which is, I'm going to stand on a stage with you, and I'm going to ask you whether or not you think I should have been indicted. And all of those people are going to scramble around trying to figure out how to say no without actually saying no. Right now, maybe a Christie if he gets in, because he's, you know, what does he have to lose at this point? But for the most part, none of them are going to want to say that, you know, he should have been indicted. They all, they're all going to say, this is just a witch hunt. You know, this is the deep state, whatever. Yes and no, right? Because, look, I saw or I, f- I believe that the reason that Donald said that no matter what, he's running. That was not a shot across the bow to others. I shouldn't say it wasn't really solely to shoot um, across the bow a a uh, what do you call it a a warning that he's going mm-hmm. to continue to run no matter what. I think it was also, if not more so, a warning shot to Fannie Willis and to the Democrats, stating, "You know how long that these cases take, and you know right now." the way that Georgia law works, if this was the one case which should put him away because it's just so blatant and it's so obvious, what he's telling you is right now you just finished your special grand jury. And they have now given you the thumbs up to proceed forward, whether it was perjury or any of the other charges that they believe well, now they have to impanel a grand jury. And that does takes a couple of weeks. Right. And now you have to start bringing back the witnesses. It's not that you're going to take the testimony and read it into the record for the grand jury. They have to now bring back the witnesses again. That's more time. And knowing Trump and his team and the way that he behaves, it's all about delay. There is no way that this case ends up in trial before which the election occurs. And Donald in his sociopathic belief system legitimately believes that he's going to be the next president. And as the president of the United States, you cannot indict a sitting president. So the presidency actually acts as a get out of jail free card. That's what he's trying to portray in a mob-like way where you say it, but you're not really saying it. Right. I think you're right. Look, I, I always thought that, you know, a second a second run at the presidency um, was partly, you know, he, he you know, w- w- while we know all evidence to the contrary is that he lost fair and square in 2020, was 
Um, he couldn't stand to be out of the limelight. He couldn't, you know, he wants to take advantage of whatever financial things. But, uh, yeah, it was always a shield to prosecution. Um, that was, you know, one of the three or four pillars of why he'd do it again. And and I think that you're right. If he if he is elected, you and I are probably, you know, hightailing it the hell out of here. Um, and uh, and, you know, he won't he won't be convicted. You know, it's interesting. Um, you talked about, you know, whether if he if he was if he was reelected. Uh, I, I was having this conversation with some folks in Washington in December and they said, well, you know, if Trump wins in 20, if he gets nominated, he wins in 24, you know, they'll come back in 28. And I'm like, there's no 28. Like, what are you talking about? Like he wins again. There's no 2028. And they looked at me, Michael, like a second head had grown out of my shoulders. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it, once in a while, you know, being the Cassandra amongst the establishment, uh, you know, doesn't make you popular, but they, they, it's not a world they could conceive of. By the way, it's not that there's no 2028. There's no 2032 or 2036 mm-hmm. or 2040 either. He will seek to change the Constitution. He will look to try to figure out a way how to shred the Constitution and all of our rights because he is an autocratic wannabe. He wants to be the monarch, the dictator, the Fuhrer, the supreme leader. That's what he wants. Right. And rest assured, too, it's not that it's just dangerous. Like, Reed, where the fuck do we go? Where do we go that the most powerful person on earth, the president of the United States, the dictator of the United States, won't be able to get you? And if you think for a second that he's not invading Mexico or taking over Canada... Because he can? I don't care what anybody says. Nobody's going to fight it. Because Donald Trump will use nukes simply to get what he wants. Because that's who he is. He would rather blow up the earth than to turn around and to try to do something to help people with mental illness. This is all about his world domination. But not because he wants the world. He wants all the money that's in it. He sees what Putin did in Russia, and he wants to do it not just in America. He'll start there, but then he's going to move further down the road. He's going to take it all. That's what he wants. So let me ask you, let me me move on to a different, go back to DeSantis in Florida for a second. Do you know how black people in Florida are reacting to DeSantis' censoring social studies books? And in essence... He's trying to rewrite black history lessons to not say slavery, but having a slave experience. Honestly, when I heard it, I got so furious, I legitimately wanted to get on a plane, go down to Florida, and slap him right across that fucking fat face of his. I mean, seriously? Having a slave experience? The fuck do you even come up with language like that? I mean, there are more than 3 million black people in the state of Florida. I mean, it's disgusting. How are they reacting? What are they doing? Well, I, I think that this is, this, is the, this is, again, where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to be, you know, the, the, you know, the, the Florida Fuhrer and do these things. Um, but, you know, Florida is not, a, is not a, a, a bubble, right? The things that he says and does there. 
uh, he does for a reason and, and they get out, you know, and, and everybody outside Florida understands what it means. And I think that the idea that for, again, I think it's 3.2 million Floridians, uh, watching their history being erased before their eyes, uh, has got to be extremely, uh, you know, frustrating, angering, you know, infuriating, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see, Michael, if there was a concerted effort, say, by, say, the Black Coaches Association, right, to say, if you are a blue chip recruit, don't go to Florida, don't go to Florida State, right? If you are a potential NCAA athlete, don't go to a Florida public school, right? Don't go any place where, you know, you're, they have told you when you get to school there, regardless of your opportunities, uh, that your history doesn't matter. In fact, we're, it's not anything that doesn't matter. If from our perspective, it doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, you want to watch, you want to watch, get people get angry, watch a bunch of, you know, Florida State and, and UF boosters watching a whole bunch of kids who, you know, should stay in Florida, start going to LSU or Alabama or someplace else because they don't want to go to school there. And I can't blame them. Um, and I think it also speaks to a, you know, this this idea of the lost cause, right, that really popped up about 100 years ago in this country, um, you know, uh, where, you know, you remember, was it they didn't put up statues of Robert E. Lee and, and Stonewall Jackson, you know, in 1867. They put them up in 1920. Right. Um, Jim Crow, you know, really started to uh, proliferate mm -hmm. a century ago. And. And we saw the reaction in the 50s and 60s as part of the civil rights uh, movement. And LBJ obviously signed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. They want all that stuff rolled back. Um, the Confederacy, you know, re Reconstruction didn't have a chance to work and we're still dealing with it today. Um, and I think that what you're seeing is that there are people, you know, there are a lot of voters within the Republican Party, again, a party that's 90 percent white that either believe in this stuff or are willing to go along with it. And, um, and I think that's a very dangerous place for us to be. <laughs> dangerous. First of all, I'm blown away. Uh, yes, you're right. Florida is only a, it's only a part of the United States of America. It's one state. I get that. But there are still 3 million black people living in Florida. And that's 3 million people that are affected by the stupidity of their governor who has decided that he wants to change history. He wants to eradicate a time in American history that should not be forgotten. Because once, by the way, and I say this to a friend of mine the other day, a, a Jewish friend who's so pro-Israel. And I'm, listen, I'm pro-Israel too, but I'm also pro-America. And I said to him, you understand that the black plight and the Jewish plight run, run parallel to one another. It's the same thing. All right. At the end of the day, the hatred for Jews is on par with the hatred by these people for blacks. So if you think that they're not going to then erase the Holocaust... And that they're not going to erase, and he's already doing that by banning certain books. And that he's not going to try to erase teaching of World War II in schools. How then do you ever get to the adage, never again? Because it's not just never again for Jewish people and for the Holocaust and the atrocities of the Third Reich. 
It's never again to slavery. It's never again to civil rights violations. It's never, it's never again. And the fact that he's doing what he's doing, I can't believe that this is where we are as a country. And I don't know how we bring them back. How do we bring the country back? We have to beat, uh, look, we have to beat these types of candidates again and again and again and again. That's how you have to beat them. You have to make it, you have to make it unacceptable to hold these particular views, um, you know, either, either out loud like Trump and DeSantis and so many of these people do, or even in, you know, even in the, you know, the back alleys and the back rooms of American politics. You know, race has been, you know, a through line for American politics for since the Civil War. Actually, I mean, Before not only, that, since, yeah. since, since 1776, that's 70, yep. 1775, 1619, whenever you want. We are a multiracial, multidemographic, uh, multicultural democracy. And, you know, you know, Michael, I think it's very I think it's important for us to understand and to say this out loud for a lot of Americans. Right. White, I'm going to say specifically white Americans, the fight upon us that we face today for them is existential. They see it as the end of their world. Right. They see it as the end of control. They see it as the end of something that they understand. They see it as the end of people that look like them being in charge of everything. And we should not underestimate the things that they will say and do to try and hold on to that. And let's be clear, as you know, it's not like human history uh, is is you know lacking examples where you know a minority population controls a majority population. And how do they do that? Through the types of stuff you're talking about. If Trump gets reelected, or if a DeSantis were to get elected, which are the 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 power ministries, right? And the thing we should talk about too about Trump in particular is you're right. He doesn't necessarily have the intellectual know how to do these things. He knows what he wants. But he has certainly surrounded himself by people and empowered people who know exactly how to make this stuff work. And, you know, he, for them, he is a means to an end, just as for that, for him, they are a means to an yep. end. Yep. It's the end of, well, I think what you're really referring to is the end of white privilege. And to me, these people are, they're just lacking in a soul. You know, I mean, who, I, me personally, I don't particularly care. Whether you're black, you're white, you're brown, male, female, it doesn't make a difference to me. As long as you do the right job, that's all I'm looking for is, you know, is what's the end result? Not whether it's a male or a female, it's tall, short, blonde hair, black hair, white, brown, black. It doesn't matter to me. You know, just do the job that you're supposed to do. But this guy... Like I said, I don't understand how he gets elected. I don't understand how the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the uh, the Matt Gates, the Josh Hawleys, the uh, Ted Cruz's. I don't understand. I don't understand it. And that's why, actually, I love working with Lincoln Project because together, I think we were incredibly assistive to our current president, to President Biden, in ensuring that Donald lost. Because you're right. In five states, it amounted to under 160,000 votes. So we have a lot of work cut out for ourselves. So let me just, let me switch gears again. Because there's a genocide underway in Ukraine. And now DeSantis, I can't get off this DeSantis, right? The DeSanctimonious. It's Ron DeSanctimonious. (laughs) He says that he's on the side of Russia because the war is simply 
a land dispute. Now, this asshole has no foreign policy experience, but it's popular right now with some Republicans to support Putin. I don't get that. What the fuck is this all about? Uh, this was about the Tucker Carlson primary in particular for, for DeSantis. Um, but, you know, more importantly, Michael, what I think it shows, aside from everything else about the things, the bad things that DeSantis has done and is doing in Florida, he's a fundamentally unserious guy when it comes to being president of the United States. Um, the idea that, to your point, that, you know, the, that the fight in Ukraine is not, is not key to American national security interests, that this is a territorial dispute. This is a guy who's not serious. Um, he he is not serious about anything. Um, this is not a guy who, um, you know, they 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 looked at this questionnaire they got from Carlson and they saw it as a purely political document, right? On presidential campaigns, at least the way they used to run. Um, Biden being different because he was such a foreign policy expert on his own right um, is that you have people who were steeped and how diplomacy works, and how the national security apparatus works, and how NATO works. The the geopolitical adversaries like Russia and 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 Saudi Arabia, frankly, and China. What did it mean, right? Sitting down with a candidate who's a governor, right? Not a United States senator. Governors are always a little bit behind the eight ball on the foreign policy stuff because it's just not usually an issue they have to deal with. Um, this was not a considered opinion. This was an absolute short term. How do I attract ultra MAGA voters? Right. How do I attract Tucker Carlson viewers to my side? And what you see is it's dangerous. It empowers a guy like Putin. Right. Just like Trump's video did and Trump, all of Trump's behavior since the get go has. Putin sees this as a green light to continue demolishing Ukraine. And that's, you know, he hasn't been able to demolish Ukraine's military, right? They have soundly beaten him. And that's why he fires hypersonic missiles at theaters and drops bombs on apartment buildings. Uh, because, you know what, the American foreign policy of, you know, or if the foreign policy of MAGA is one in line with him. I mean, the, Ronald Reagan must be rolling over in his grave. George H.W. Bush must be rolling over in his grave. These are the men who brought the end of the Soviet Union, who brought the end of the Berlin Wall, right? Who saw America as the shining city on the hill, as a beacon of democracy. Now, there's plenty of things you can disagree with them on. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that Ronald Reagan went to Berlin and he said in front of the Berlin Wall, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right? He understood peace through strength. He understood that there were two ways that the, that the world was going to go. It was the imperfect world of American democracy or the brutal, bloody world of mm -hmm. Soviet communism. And he wasn't willing to compromise on that. And now what you see is guys like Trump and DeSantis who are perfectly willing to go along with an eth Christian ethno-nationalist butcher like, Mike, like Vladimir Putin for short-term political gain. And I think it is absolutely, absolutely unconscionable, and it makes them both resolutely unqualified to be president of the United States. I mean, you would, I don't know if you saw this, but on his untrue social platform, he posted something that United States should exit NATO. And he doesn't believe that right. NATO should even exist. Right. You know the reason again why? Let's go back to that autocratic personality of his. Right. 
NATO, which Donald doesn't even know what it stands for, 30, 30 states. And if, in fact, you do something to one, you do it to all. That's how you build a coalition to ensure that democracy and human rights flourish. Well, what if you're the guy that doesn't want human rights or democracy to flourish? What do you do? You go Putin style. And that's, what he, and that's why he's putting this shit out. And for some unknown reason, these maggots just eat this shit up and I can't figure it out. So look, let me ask you this again, Reed. You recently talked about Merrick Garland and the glacial pace of his investigations into Trump. Do me a favor, because, you know, I have the same feeling and I'm very critical of Merrick Garland. Not as a person, not as an intellect, but as our attorney general. Please tell me why you think it's going so slowly and what you think the outcome will be. Why do I think it's going so slowly? Because if they are, if they do intend to indict him, I think they want to make sure that they've dotted every I and crossed every T and checked every box. Um, The problem I have is that at some point, whether or not it's Merrick Garland or the deputy attorney general or whoever, or Jack Smith or whoever it is, someone's ultimately going to have to sign their name on a piece of paper that says, like, we are moving forward with this indictment. Right. Or we're moving forward with impaneling a grand jury to seek an indictment. And that's a hell of a thing. Um, But I I would say this is that, you know, as you know, the DOJ claims it always wants to stay out of politics. It is uniquely bad at doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. But now, you know, it's not enough to be indicting and convicting, you know, the hundreds of people who were at the Capitol on January 6th. You now have to hold to account and take, you know, hold to account or at least, you know, make sure that justice is served by going for the top of the pyramid. And the people who went to the Capitol on January 6th were, you know, they read Twitter feeds and QAnon posts and everything else. Trump was the mastermind, whether or not it's, you know, sedition, seditious conspiracy, or if it's frankly just the stuff that he had at Mar-a-Lago. the, the Justice Department has to show that truly there is no one above the law. Um, and, you know, Trump always says, oh, well, if they could do it, they can do it to me. They can do it to anybody. Right. That's exactly right. If they can do it to you, they can do it mm-hmm. to anybody. Um, you know, and if, so, if, if the rule of law is supposed to be the thing that we hold highest, and you talked about the Constitution, then indictments need to be forthcoming. And they just have to accept that it's going to be ugly because to do otherwise – Let's Trump say, I told you, I told you, it was all a witch hunt, it was all the deep state. They never had anything on me. They were never going to come after me. And that's worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you're not going to hear any argument on that uh, from me. So what I will ask you then is, you know that it's the House Republicans, they're hell bent on creating these committees in order to, <coughs> for example... One of these committees now will be investigating Hallie and Hunter Biden in terms of criminality, exposure to criminality, taking money from uh, some Ukrainian company, et cetera, et cetera. But these House Republicans only want to go after Biden 
and ignore the fact that Trump's kids have even more exposure to criminality while they were working for daddy. I mean, it was reported that Jared and Ivanka, Javanka, pulled down over $600 million while they were in the White House. That's a lot of fucking money. And then on top of that, Jared leaves and he manages to somehow, from the same people that he was involved with, with the Abraham Accords, goes ahead and gets $2 billion from the Saudis to start up a fund that he has no qualification for. And that's not me shitting on the kid. That's the finance committee for the Saudi Investment Authority saying, what the fuck are we doing? Saying it a little differently, right? But Mohammed bin Salman says, no, no, give him the money. Right, right. To me, it seems like a can of worms that they may come to regret. Not too dissimilar, for example, to the subcommittee on government weaponization that's, you know, led by Jim Jordan. That committee has already been attacked by Democrats who are standing up and saying, whoa, 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 before you start looking at weaponization, and let's, let's continue to look at weaponization by the Biden administration against Trump or whoever that they want, but how do we forget what happened in the past? Jamie Raskin got out and he lambasted, lambasted Jim Jordan, followed then by Steve Cohen, no relation from Tennessee. And then the real kick in the nuts came from Dan Goldman. Are these House Republicans doing shit that they're just going to come to regret? Um, Probably, but I don't know that they think enough about it to understand what it is they're doing. And I'm not sure that regret is in their is in their consciousness. Um, I just don't think they care about it. And, and look, the things you're all saying make perfect sense, uh, but the, they're also inherently rational, which is not what we're dealing with on this stuff. And so, you know, I think the the interesting part, and this is why Republicans have really lost their touch on this stuff, is when they you know they get up and these these members, these Republican members, start you know just thrashing one one. Um, witness after another. Um, and, you know, will this happen and that happen? And they all go, yeah, that was 2020. That was the Trump administration. Or that was 2017. That was the Trump administration. And so like the Republicans are just hoping for the grandstanding. I think the thing that you're seeing from the witnesses is they're much more savvy and they're much more willing to stand up to this stuff than maybe witnesses in the past would have. Yeah. And trust me, I know it's not easy It's really not easy when you have somebody like Donald Trump, especially when he was president, with all of the levers of power of government, dropping a 20,000-pound anvil right on top of your head. You know, thanks to the willing and complicit, bloviated attorney general. It's really no joke. So, Reed, hour goes by quickly here on Mea Culpa. One last question for you. The actor Russell Brandt is actually having some moment right now. He was recently on with Bill Maher and Fucker Carlson. And Russell's shtick is that all major news outlets are owned by corporations. And so they're inherently not trustworthy due to whatever the corporate agenda is. And of course, we know the corporate agenda is making money. So he's saying that Fox is no better than MSNBC, no better than CNN, no better than any of the other stations. How much truth do you think there is 
to Brand's assumption? Um, you know, I would say this. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, most, most media is corporate owned. Um, but this is not a new phenomenon. I mean, even think about back when newspapers were owned by individuals, right? William Randolph Hearst and, and everybody else. Um, there's always been some modicum or measure, significant or not, of editorial control by ownership. Um, you know, there were, you know, there was a conservative newspaper in a town, there was a liberal newspaper in a town, whatever the case might be. This isn't anything new. I think what Brand is doing is sort of finding his way, like so many people do, is that they, you know, they're they're kooky. They have been otherwise sort of, you know, turned off by their their normal fan base or their normal listeners. Um, and they go looking for someplace where the kookiness is popular and is and is and is something that's rewarded. And you see that with the right wing stuff. And so what I think Brand is trying to do is is create a false equivalency uh, between these things, which is is MSNBC a left wing, you know, d- does it espouse left wing views? It does. Uh, CNN, I don't know what it does. I don't um, know what they're doing these days either. But it, but Fox News is is one day after another just lies, right? Lies, disinformation, misinformation, and so you know this is what we see out of these kinds of movements. And they find fellow travelers like Brand, which is trying to make everybody as bad as the worst. Therefore, nobody is qualified to have a moral position. Right. And and that's what Trump does with the United States, too. Right. Which is we're just as bad as everybody else. Therefore, we should act however we want. Therefore, we're not we don't hold ourselves to a higher standard. And Brand's just doing the same thing with Fox. Yeah. Well, Reed, I thank you for joining me again here on Maya Culpa. Love the uh, Lincoln Project sweatshirt. Looking great. Please do me a favor. Keep up the fight. Don't stop your advertiser your advertisements your uh you know your commercials are just fabulous i mean they they really are it's something that i've always said that jamie harrison uh who's the head of the dnc should sort of try to either mimic or just take you guys on because it's messaging when it comes to the democratic party is pathetic and to be honest with you your messaging is so crystal clear I certainly suggest everybody check out The Lincoln Project, subscribe, donate, do whatever it is that you need to do because our democracy legitimately is in peril. And Reed, I thank you for all that you're doing and you and I will speak offline as to where we're going to run to. God forbid, <laughs> God forbid that that day comes. God forbid. Be well, my friend. Take care. Bye-bye. And now for today's Maya culpa. The recent All Quiet on the Western Front is an excellent film about the realities of war. As treaties are being signed, battles wrap up, and for just a few moments, things are quiet. Too quiet and tragically, that is, when the hero is killed. Just when he was on the verge of going home, spoiler alert, sorry, but in 1933, when the Nazis took power, the novel was banned in Germany because of its anti-war stance. Joseph Goebbels deemed it unpatriotic. And eventually, everything the German author Eric Marie Remark wrote was banned or burned. But the novel, a fiction, predicted the end of Germany in World War II, banned or not. Remark saw where Germany was headed and accurately predicted the outcome. As we hopefully reach the end of the Trump era, which has been nothing short of a war within our own borders, 
I'm reminded of the novel because after a while, all the soldiers can do is wait for the end. It's slow, it's scary, but because they are technically still at war, they have to kill or to be killed. Even after they know the truth, that war is futile. They are stuck in the loop. Trump's default is to fight no matter what, and if he's going down, he's gonna take anyone, everyone in his path down with him. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and the end of a war is always messy. But the outcome of Trump's path to power and ultimate demise could have been predicted long ago. I mean, Trump is never honest, he was never brave, he never gave a shit about the American people. It was all about the power. And judging by the crowd size outside of Mar-a-Lardo and the Trump Towers in Manhattan today, he has lost most of that power. I'm sure the Magas still love him, but as their fellow insurrectionists are getting stiff sentences for their part in the Capitol riots, maybe folks are a little more cautious today about getting involved in yet another Trump battle that could put them behind bars. Or maybe they know that at the end is near and that there's no reason for them to fight. Either way, today as we wait, things seem a little too quiet. And it makes me anxious, it makes me nervous. It's like tick, 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 and we're all still waiting for the fucking kaboom. But don't worry, I promise you, my friends, it's coming. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Thank <laughs> you.